Welcome to the Creation Innovation Podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth King. Together, we'll have conversations with incredible human beings who have taken their creative outlet and turned it into something innovative. From people leaving the corporate world to be eight-figure entrepreneurs, to people who have created books, created a family, or just creating to have fun in the world. We are all in a journey to create something amazing in our lives, and I hope that you find some inspiration of your own here. This is the Creation Innovation Podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. I am so excited today to talk about adoption because I know that, at least from the perspective where I sit, I often get one-off calls years down the road from people that have stopped trying to conceive naturally or kind of paused on their fertility journey and on their own right to say, maybe we're going to look at this adoption route. And it's so hard to say that there really aren't as many resources that I am aware of. So I'm happy to talk today with Erin Quick so that she can teach us more about this whole process so that we can then push them to other people to say, here, check it, check this out, check that out. Erin Quick is the CEO of Pear Tree. Welcome, Erin. Can you tell us a little bit about Pear Tree and what that means? Yes, happy to. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so I think just quick background on me is I spent the majority of my career, 20 plus years in the global brand consulting business. So building brands that we all know today, um, never expecting to be in the position that I'm in today. And, and kind of the, the path that got me here was I was running my own brand consulting for, firm for about just under 15 years. Mm-hmm. And in the process of running that firm, I was, I knew I always wanted to be a mom, but I was kind of delayed. I was like, we'll get pregnant later, later, later. I had no reason to think that we would have any trouble whatsoever to get pregnant. Right. And um, when we started, we never do, right? We always assume like you got to watch out because you'll get pregnant. And then, exactly. and then what really kills me is when people are like, okay, I'm going to get pregnant in April. So then I have my baby and whatever. And they're like, if only it was that easily, like, who really exactly. has that? I mean, there are a very select few people that can do that, but realistically that doesn't happen. <laughs> I know. Well, yeah, I feel kind of naive now, like, you know, just even those thoughts that were, that were in my head. Um, and so we, we tried to get pregnant naturally for about a year and uh, nothing happened. And so I went to my doctor and she's like, it's time for you to go to see a reproductive technologist. And I was like, okay. So we went through the process of IUIs and IVF, multiple rounds. And even that was a little bit embarrassing because I was like, I'm going to go through one round and that'll I'm not going to be one of these people who goes through multiple rounds. Um, how, you know, embarrassingly firm those beliefs were when I was starting. And then, you know, once you have your first failed round, you're like, well, how quickly can I do another? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's not embarrassing. That's just what we assume. We kind of feel like, okay, once we decide to go the IVF route, then it's done, right? Like that it's going to happen then. Or once we do whatever, then it's done. It's probably same with adoption. I would imagine for people like, okay, we're going to do this. And it's, it's easy and done. And I, I know that's not the case too for that yeah, situation. No. Yeah, I know. It's like, we all grew up with kind of these, these belief systems. And when you get into it, you're like, oh, that's not true at all. Right. Yeah. We went you through- feel so, so jaded and cheated that no one told you the truth about all these situations. Yes. Yeah. So we went through IVF and um, it was after our third miscarriage that my husband and I were like, this just feels like we're banging our heads against a wall, you know? And I personally just, I felt completely broken. I've heard some of your past guests talk on the podcast, just like I was embarrassed. I was mad at my body and 
you know, and, and for, for my husband and I, we had always said kind of now naively, but let's have one and adopt one. Mm-hmm. So we said, we need to take a break from this. This is breaking us physically, emotionally, uh, financially. Uh, and so and I'm, I want to just ask you, cause I'm always curious about that. When people say that when you guys first started dating and, or got married, was that just a conversation that you had? Like, we'll we'll have one and adopt one. And you guys were on the same page with that. Cause, and, and how did that come about? Because I feel like that, that is such a special person to have be open to adoption because it's such a unique path, right? Unless you've been around somebody or you're familiar with it or whatnot, but were you guys just happened to be on the same page with that out of the gate? Yeah. So I, um, I married a very wonderful man, um, who is an excellent communicator and very in touch with his own feelings and emotions and just kind of always questions like, well, why, you know, and he and I both, we, he, he was a teacher. Uh, and so like, he, he's always loved kids. And I just, I grew up with kids and like, like it was never in like, not an option in my mind. I was like, for sure, I'm going to okay. be a mom. Yeah. Um, and so, but I think both of us also have these natural tendencies, you know, like we were both volunteering for nonprofits at early ages and okay. um, felt a really strong tie to the community. And um, we both have what I call kind of the justice gene in terms of, you know, like, let's make sure that everybody has access to, to as much, as much, as much opportunity as possible. And so I think there were, there's some kind of common DNA that we share that I think led us to like, well, we're, we're curious about what we would make, you know, mm-hmm. just in terms of, you know, our own DNA, um, sure. but, you know, if we can also help provide, you know, a home, um, to another child, like that's something that we just felt really strongly about from the beginning. So it was just kind of, I mean, I think it was one of the things that brought us together. Um, but I remember my husband always questioning like, well, why do we want to be parents? Let's talk about that first, you know? And, so, and I think in, in doing that, it kind of just naturally draws out this idea of like, well, you know, we're human. And so we're curious about what we would biologically create, but um, you know, if we can, if we can provide another path for another child, we want to do that. And so when we got to that kind of that breaking point in our fertility journey, I think he and I was like, we've always said we wanted to adopt. Let's just move into adoption and we can always circle back to IVF. Mm-hmm. Um, for us in IVF, it was, we were what was called uh, undiagnosed infertility. They didn't know why. And they just kept right. telling it's just a matter of time for you to, mm-hmm. um, but you know, uh, that's easier said than handled. Right. And so we moved into the adoption process with, I think, the same kind of misperceptions that I think the majority of America has about adoption, where it's like, oh, there's so many kids that need homes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so when we got to start meeting with, you know, there's a lot of options in adoption. And so we were evo- evaluating things like, do we want to adopt from foster care, which means typically means an older child, um, or do we want to adopt an infant? Uh, mm-hmm. Doing our research of those two paths, um, we realized the the objective for ab- adopting from foster is that that child would be reunified with its biological family. Right. And coming off of the fertility train um, with miscarriages, I was like, I don't think I'm strong enough for that. Right. Like if a child yeah. comes home, I can't fathom the idea of giving it back. Right. So that kind of led us down the path of private adoption. Um, of an adopting an infant. And so and when you say private adoption versus what it private versus public. So public is what a lot of people know as foster care. Okay. Um, okay. And, and 
and private is typically what's what's when people are trying to adopt an infant that's typically called private adoption and the paths are very different um from the, from and the objectives are very different so the objective of public or foster is reunification with the biological family right um, and you have to be foster licensed which is much more intense than getting approved to adopt an infant um for okay. a number of reasons because um you know the government's going to pay you money on a monthly mm -hmm. basis you can have multiple children in your home um for so it's a different process for for a lot of reasons and then the process to on the private side um is typically you're connecting with an expectant mom um, while, while she's caring and you're building kind of a plan for what the future will look like. But the objective is permanent placement in your home. And that's for us what we were after. Right. And when you, did you know anybody who had adopted before? Were you going into this completely blind? Did you go through an agency? I, how does that, where do you even start when you say, okay, we've decided we're gonna do this. What do you what do? You do? do you Google? adoption in my area <laughs> like what do you yeah. yes okay. yes to all of it so we didn't have we didn't have very many friends that had been through it um we'd had some friends that had adopted internationally but that wasn't the path that we were going to take and so okay. we did have some family friends that had gone through the private um infant domestic infant route which is what the path that we were on and i thought like uh, again the majority of america thinks it's like oh i need to go to the local adoption agency and and sign up and when we were starting to have some of those orientation meetings, I was like, oh my gosh, well, this is so different than I expected it to be because number one, it's incredibly expensive, 40 to $60,000 to adopt an infant in the US. Um, average timeline was 24 months. And again, coming up, wow. I was like, I can't wait two years. Yeah. And then the process, the process was pretty, it just felt kind of old. Like it's very like, well, we'll wait for somebody in our network to call us when they have an expectant mom that's looking to place. And I was like, okay. oh, I don't like this like reactive waiting thing. And they have multiple families that they'll put in front of that expectant mom. So it's like, what are our challenges? Right, right. So mm -hmm. it just like the, the, that process felt really old to me. And so luckily we had these family friends that said, hey, you're in Washington state, Aaron, you know, you don't have to use an agency. You can do what's called self-matching. And so they explained to us that it's the process is very similar to the, the path that an agency takes. It's just, you're in charge of your own process. So you build your own team, meaning, you hire a social worker in Washington State to approve you to adopt. Anybody that's going to be um, that's going to be that's going to adopt in the U.S. has to be approved to adopt in their state. They can connect with an expectant mom or birth family anywhere in the nation, but they have to be approved in their state um, to adopt. And so you'd hire a social worker to do that. And once you're approved, then you start matching. You start connecting with an expectant mom. Um, and then the third step is you hire an adoption attorney to walk you through the legal piece. And that's when the finalization happens of the adoption. And so that sounded really daunting. But when I started looking into it, I was like, oh, I kind of like this route because I'm going to have control over the whole process. And so I can move it as fast and as aggressively as I want it to. Um, and it's just me. Like, I'm going to fight harder for me than I think an agency would fight for me when they have multiple families. And so um, that was the path that we took. And the other huge benefit to doing it that way um, there's a couple of them is one the average cost drops from 40 to 60,000 down to 15 which is not cheap wow, okay. but it's way less um and then the timeline yeah. the timeline is determined by as fast as you can connect with an expectant mom that thinks you're the right family for them and so and is there a network that you join that 
does that or is it like online dating? I mean, how, what, yeah. again, I don't even know where you would begin to do that. So what I does know. that mean? These are great questions because that's exactly how I was thinking about it too. I was like, do we, I mean, honestly, this is a kind of an embarrassing admission, but I was like, do we hang out at a high school? You know, like, <laughs> I don't know what we do, you know? And so, um, but what in doing again, some research, I found that there are kind of match.com equivalents. It's very similar to online dating where you build a profile okay. and then expect it moms sort through those profiles to find kind of the right families for them. And then you just start messaging each other and build a relationship. And once you feel like you've connected with each other, then you kind of introduce this family to your attorney and um, the attorney kind of handles stuff from there as you're working through the logistics of what you both want. And so that was kind of the other, the kind of the third big advantage I think to self-matching is the two families that need to feel like they have the most control over this process are the birth family and the adopting family. And in doing the self-matching way, like you build a relationship from day one and determine what the relationship looks like going forward versus having kind of a gatekeeper in the middle. Right. That, that make, I mean, to me, that seems like the very obvious way to do it, that why would there be any other way to go about doing it? But that'll be for another conversation. So did it seem, once you got into that process of matchmaking, did it go as you thought it would? Was, was it like, oh, this is way easier or this is way harder or were there multiple options? You yeah. know, how, and how far, how long was that process? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So once we got approved to adopt, which took about two months, uh, okay. we were, that's when you're allowed to start kind of marketing or trying to match with an expectant mom. And so we put ourselves on the two platforms that existed at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and we, you know, we went public with our online profile and within two weeks, we were contacted by wow. our son's expectant mom. Um, and we flew to their state and met with them. And we were immediately drawn to them. They are amazing. And um, she was very far along in her pregnancy. Um, and so she, they were interviewing a couple different families. And um, so we spent a weekend kind of getting to know them and um, being incredibly vulnerable and sharing like all of our hopes and dreams. And a few days later, after we'd gotten home, they called and said, we'd be honored if you would be parents. Mm -hmm. And so a few so days later, awesome. we flew back out because uh, he was born. That's so great. Yeah. And what, I mean, just hearing the story, kind of knowing the, the potential of what could happen, like that just make, breaks my heart, just even knowing. So how do you manage that kind of expectation of they can change their mind, right? Like yeah. in, I'm guessing in any state, they can probably change their mind until what time, I don't know. But like, did you ever feel like that was, part of it? Or were you like naive in the fact of, okay, we picked somebody, they picked us, we're going to have a baby and like, we're going to go back home as a party of three and life is going to be amazing. Yeah, no, I mean, that's one of the hardest parts I think about being um, an adoptive parent on this journey is that um, they can change their mind. It's a little bit different in each state, but they can change their mind um, typically until 72 hours or a little bit longer after the birth. And oh, so wow. Okay. Yeah. So you, you, uh, I mean, I remember holding my husband's hand as we were getting off the plane and when we arrived in their state saying like, Hey, this could be a life-changing trip for us, or this could be a short vacation, mm -hmm. for us. you know, it, it doesn't like, you, we just have to, I mean, I was raised 
by um, a mom, especially who believes in like Zen Buddhist sayings. And so this idea of like, don't be attached to the outcome. Mm. And so, and it's so hard to do in this situation because how can you not be attached? Because uh, you've mm-hmm. been thinking about this for year, decades. Uh, yeah. It's, that's, that's what I tell our adoptive families not pear tree. But I think a lot of it determines on, again, like how well you get to know each other. And so I, I felt really secure going into that experience with them because she didn't give me any indications that she was going to change her mind. Okay. And, and she did, but it does happen. I mean, it happens in 15 to 20% of the cases. And, and do you feel that people who that does happen for that they're prepared for that or, and, or have the support for that? Because I'm kind of equating it to miscarriage loss, right? And you understand that as well, that it happens all the time, but most people, you don't really hear about it too much. At least I didn't when, before I went through it. And even though it's happening all the time, and then you don't know how to get support for it when it does happen to you. And you're like, how do I pick up the pieces for this? And where do I even start again? Do you feel like now that we have, again, for example, with fertility coaching, we have those people that can support that and therapists that specialize in this in this as well. But do you feel like there's a good network of support for families that do go through the the not so pleasant aspects of adoption? Yeah. Um, so I th- it's it, I think it is very like the analogy of of miscarriage is very similar here because it's it is like I you know you feel very alone um, and like who understands what I'm going through even though there's you know so many people that have been through the same experience and I mean it's devastating emotionally but yeah. obviously you would never fault the the birth mom for changing her mind. Um, and so it's one of those things like you're trying to be happy for her meanwhile you know you're you're devastated. Um, yeah, the rug is ripped from under you, you feel like. Yeah, and so we we try to prepare families as much as we possibly can. And there's there are really good education sources. Education to me is the key to going through an adoption journey because mm-hmm. it does, it helps prepare you. There are so many variables in adoption and education is the only way to kind of prepare yourself for the ma- majority of them. Um, and mm-hmm. even so, like, you know, we all know getting pregnant that miscarriage is a possibility and then you go through it and it's still devastating. Um, yeah. But you know, like, how do you pick up the pieces? How do you create like going into it? How do you make sure you have a support network, um, no matter what happens, good or bad? And you're already financially invested, I'm assuming, or maybe not in that sort of situation with self-matching. Are you as invested if you don't have an agency involved as far as financially? Because is that I'm assuming you don't get your money back if they change their mind. Or yeah. have you not already paid them? Like, how does that work? Sorry for asking the naive questions, but they are naive. I mean, these are the these are the questions that that we're educating our families on all the time. Um, no, so you in a lot, and you don't you don't get any money back. Um, and so I think that is one of the also the advantages to self matching is, um, you know, there's a lot typically a lot less invested at that point. Um, you know, a lot of agencies charge twenty thousand plus to match a family mm-hmm. uh, and at pear tree families pay $75 a month. Um, okay. And so it's like, it's the, the, the kind of investment is a lot less. If you have helped the expectant mom with any of um, the expenses that you're allowed to help with, um, which every state regulates um, in terms of what you are and aren't, aren't able to, to pay for. And all of those funds have to go through either a licensed agency or attorney. So you're never kind of dealing with that directly, whether you're self-matching or they going through the agency route, but no, you're not going to get that money back either. Um, and so you want to make sure again, like that connection is sound and solid um, with that family. But we hear it all the time that families, 
cashed in their 401k plan to give this a shot and she changed her mind and now they can't do it again. And so I yeah. think I get really excited about a pear tree is because our point of view on, on budget for adoption is very, it's, it's almost heretical in this industry that our point of view is save your budget for as long as you possibly can spend as little as possible for as long as you can, because the longer you wait, the wider you're going to want to go. And if you drop a huge chunk of money up front with an adoption professional who promises you the world, you're just kind of tied to them, regardless of how well they perform for you. Right. So tell us a little bit more about Paratree. If somebody's now just having those conversations with their partner of, okay, maybe we let's go down this route of adoption and, or maybe it's what they've always wanted to do. Where, where do they start when they get to Pear Tree? Yeah, so the first step in any journey again is educating yourself. Um, and so mm -hmm. that's why we, we've, we've partnered with kind of the Harvard of adoption education and they're called creating a family so that when families decide to use Pear Tree, whether starting at the home study stage or they're already home study approved and coming to us at the matching stage, they get access to unlimited education. Cause for me, like that's, always step number one, you need to be educated on this process. Yeah. Um, and, and then from there, so there's three kind of major milestones on any adoption journey. The first one is you have to be approved to adopt if you're an adopting family. Um, second one is matching, third is legal. And so what we've created at Pear Tree is one platform um, that helps families navigate that process um, kind of from start to finish at a fraction of the cost um, and typically in a much more efficient and faster way. Um, and, and for me, it's a more modern approach. So everything for us is done, you know, kind of technology first supported by a group of, um, humans in the pear tree team. And yeah. our team consists of adopting families. We have birth moms, we have adoption professionals on staff. So, um, kind of depending on what support is needed, we can, we can help provide it. Which I think is so important, even if you're behind the scenes, running that business that's supporting that business to have people understand that those people that are maybe they're programming the software that you're looking at but they understand what you're going through it makes such a difference because like fertility and adoption it's such a unique path in this world and to know that if you do need to pick up the phone and talk to somebody that they get what you're going through and they understand and they can say i've been there you know, your stress is real, you will get through the other side. And here's my story. Because I think sometimes just hearing somebody else's story is so healing to say, look, I have my eight and five year old, and this is my my experience. And you'll get there too, because there's so many times where you just feel like, oh my gosh, is this ever going to happen? Yeah. And so talking to, is this ever going to happen as far as time frame? what's the general time frame for people through working with Pear Tree that it happens. I know you said for you guys, for your first son, it was two months, which seems like that's awesome, right? I mean, yeah. that that's incredible to me, but is that the norm or is that unusual for, for that if you're self-matching? It's, so I think it's pretty unusual. I think, and okay. I, think that I credit that too. I mean, my background is in marketing and branding. And so, and, and so that kind of knowledge set in terms of like, how do I position myself? You know, what's unique about our family that I want to amplify so that we connect with the right yeah. expectant family. So trying to take right. that marketing knowledge and help our other adoptive families go through that same process. Cause I think uh -huh. that the, the, the problem that we see a lot of adopting families when they come to us is they're like, they're trying to be all things to all people. And in doing that, they're no one to everyone. <laughs> 
everyone. They yeah. Come, they come across as generic. And so we try to help families like, what is unique about you? And how do you amplify that difference so that you can connect with the right one expectant yeah. for you? Um, because that, that compatibility is, is so important in terms of laying the foundation for the future. But to get to your question about time, I think, I mean, we've had families match on pear tree in 10 days. Um, we've had oh, wow. families that are, that are on pear tree for 10 months and still haven't matched. And so um, what, I, what I try to tell families is we have some things that are in our control in terms of how we're putting our profiles together, how we're using images and descriptive language to amplify again, like what's different about you. Um, and then there's always gonna be a component of serendipity in, on any adoption journey. Like is the right expectant mom at the right time finding you? And so there's, that's, there's always a piece of it that's a little bit out of our control. So how long it takes. And it's a big decision. It's not like, am I going to go out on a date for coffee with this guy, right? Like this is choosing the birth parent of your, your potential future child or buying a pair of shoes online, right? Like this is a big, big decision. So I would say for anybody who's going through it, give yourself that grace and bring down that expectation that if you aren't doing it so fast, that that's okay, because, you know, this is a big life-changing situation you're dealing with. It is. And, but I understand the need. Cause again, like I remember like coming out of fertility, I was like, I, I want to be a mom now. hundred percent. Yeah. So I, I understand their desire, but, but it is like, that's, yeah. it's the hardest question for us to answer. But what we do provide families is metrics. So when a family has a profile on pear tree, they get pretty strong analytics in terms of how many people are looking at their profile. How many of those people are expectant moms that are registered on pear tree just to give them some kind of exchange in terms of it. Cause I remember when I was doing it, I was like, is anybody even looking at my profile? Mm-hmm. You know, like, is this, am I just spending $400 a month just to spend it? Like I had, I had no idea. And so providing some knowledge exchange with them so that they can make sure that Pear Tree is providing value to them is really important to us. Um, okay. Things like monthly support groups that we offer. We use something called personality-based matching um, because again, like, it has to be a very compatible match to lay the right foundation for the future, both for adopting family, birth family, and specifically and, and importantly, the adoptee. Um, mm-hmm. and so we use personality-based matching that, so our families, when they register, they're put through kind of a personality test that classifies them as one of 12 major personality types that are all good, but they're very different. Mm-hmm. And then when an expectant mom registers, she chooses the personality types that she's most drawn to. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how the first order of matching Oh, that's great. Expectant mom could then start by anything else that's important to her, whether it's location, education, down to political affiliation. Um, Oh, wow. Okay. You do that. It's not like a, it's not like meant to be gimmicky. It's actually pretty important because expectant moms are trying to figure out what the future looks like if they pick this family. And so personality is the leading indicator of behavior. So in addition to, you know, what a family says about themselves and the pictures they show, you know, like an, an explorer family, you know, families that are exploring the world and, and exposing their children to new things are very different than a sage family who prizes education and academia. And so a, a lot of our expected moms kind of know what they're after. And so personality helps them sort through the families um, in a more, uh, in a way that's better positioning for them in terms of what they want. That's, that's amazing because I think from that perspective of, the the mom who's going through it too, they probably don't are overwhelmed of where to start. And just having that personality 
aspect to, okay, here's, here's the starting ground, right? Like we're going to help you even focus it down even more. I think that's awesome because I can't even imagine, I'm sure most of them, if not all of them are making this decision based from a situation that's not an ideal one and Mm -hmm. to have any help that they can get to narrow down, to know that they're making a good decision for themselves and for their child is amazing. So are, does everyone have an option for private or close, I guess would be the right term versus open adoption? Or is it, yeah, you know, on pear tree or is it all open or all closed or how does that work? Yeah, so that's, it's again, like um, the families, adopting families, when they register, they're pre- presented with options if they want it open, semi-open, closed, and then expectant moms when they're sorting through those options also get to pick. Um, whether they want open, semi-open, or closed, and that's by no means legally binding. It just it just gives you some like indication. You know, if an expectant mom wants a very open adoption, she can find families that are interested in, in very open adoptions. Um, I will say that I think you know best practice in adoption, and all the research indicates that open adoptions are better for adoptees um, okay. for obvious reasons. You know, they mm-hmm. know where they come from, and they can have some of those right. questions answered. Um, but again, it's like, it's the preferences of the adopting families and the birth families that I think matter most to us. And so we provide both, you know, options on the platform to make sure that, again, that compatible match can be made. Yeah. Um, and do you see a trend of 80% are open and 20% are closed? Is there a specific data that shows? Yeah. So yes, there is. So over 90% of adoptions in the U.S. now are open. Oh, and that, wow. that's kind of a mind-blowing fact for a lot of people. And I think a lot of adopting families come to adoption. I know I did. Again, this is kind of an embarrassing admission, but I was thinking that when I was starting the process that I was like, okay, well, you know, thank you. Like your chapter has now ended and ours is going to start. Mm-hmm. Now, again, it's embarrassing to say that out loud, but I think a lot of our families come to adoption thinking the same thing. And um, for me, I just like, you don't go through adoption you don't enter a hospital room to a woman who just carried a baby for 40 weeks and loves that baby as much as you do, maybe more at that point, and has just given birth to that child and is placing that baby in your arms because she knows that you're going to be a better opportunity for that baby. Like you don't go through that. You don't watch that and not want that person to be part of your life forever. It's yeah, really intense. And, and so I think the minute <laughs> that happens, we see a lot of our adopting families do a 180, like please be in my life forever. I want, I want our son and our meaning collectively, I want our son to know you and your strength and your love. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's, it's very different than, you know, people approaching it kind of from almost a place of fear because they just, sure. And like, I want this baby to be mine. Yeah. For sure. understand. Um, but I think you go through it, uh, and your, your mind will be changed. And then just navigating that relationship too, I'm sure is strange. So my mom is, I, she was an expected mom that was forced to give up her baby and it was closed and whatever. So I had, I have seen the damage that it does from that perspective of not, you know, not having the choice of whether she wants to keep it or not. And then not knowing where that baby went, if she's okay, if she's not okay, what happened and just the emotional damage that has caused I will say, even as a ripple down effect to me and my sisters, right, of seeing how traumatized she was around that. 
And how beautiful now to know that 90% of these people, as you said, for the adoptee itself, right, it's, it's such a healthier experience to know this was a story. This is who you came from and whatever. It's so beautiful. And, you know, thank goodness that our world has evolved to what it was in the 60s where, yeah. you know, people weren't given a choice and it was closed forever. And that's, you know, you're lucky if you could ever reconnect. I mean, now with 23andMe and all these other things, there's options for those types of things to happen. But I mean, what, what an, the emotion and the power of you say, just painting that picture of going into a room with somebody who had just had this baby and then saying like, I'm gifting essentially this amazing human to you, right? Yeah. Um, and then maintaining that relationship, which I'm sure at times probably isn't easy because we are dealing with human behavior, right? And that that changes throughout our life and, and whatnot. So I think also keeping that in mind too, that as you keep that relationship going, expecting that it might not always be rainbows and butterflies for the rest of the time as well. So no, I know I feel very lucky because we also um, are we have good relationships with our birth families, but um, our birth moms have been very honest with us in terms of the roller coaster ride that they've been on, and and mm. I can only imagine it because you know for me too, different like things I never thought about when I was entering this journey that now as a two-time adoptive mom with an eight-year-old and a five-year-old you know, I see them in the kids. Mm, yeah. And I see that every day and it makes me so proud. Um, mm -hmm. but I also, it makes me think about them constantly. And, and, um, I think that, you know, we have one of our birth families who's, who has been really honest. Like I, I don't regret this choice. I think you were the perfect family for our daughter, but this is really hard, you know? Yeah. And, and for me, that's one of the reasons that Paratree takes a, such a firm stance on making sure that this, as an industry, that lifetime support for birth families is standard, not an, not an option that expires. You know, and what the, does that look like when you say that? What, is, what does that look like? So for us, it's a couple different ways, but I think like in, in theory, like this is a lifetime decision that these women are making. And mm -hmm. I think they should have access to lifetime care and I'm hoping that care is on demand when they need it. Um, because again, you know, we have a two-time birth mom on staff at Pear Tree and she says this really eloquently that there are seasons to grief when you're, when you're a birth mom that sometimes are harder than other times. And sometimes it could be a year in between a season. Sometimes it could be a month or you start thinking about the holidays and it gets harder. And so there are seasons to it. And so wanting to make sure that, that those women have access to lifetime support is really important to us. And that's why we donate 5% of the um, revenue from subscriptions. Um, so that when families are paying $75 a month, we donate 5% to organizations that support lifetime healing for birth moms. Um, oh, that's awesome. And, and then things like um, our, the two-time birth mom that we have on staff, she puts on monthly support groups for expectant moms um, mm -hmm. and families just to create kind of a, an open sense of community. Because, And I that's something that I would like to see, you know, I'm hoping Paratree can be integrated with healthcare providers at some mm -hmm. point, just to make sure, you know, we launched an iOS and Android app. Like, can she not have access to someone on her phone when she needs it? Yeah, no, I know for, again, my own experience with my mom, we, I don't know the exact date, but the baby was born sometime early September around Labor Day. So from Labor Day through the holidays, my mom is a mess yeah. because she's thinking about 
you know, the birth and then grieving when she had to go home and her parents weren't talking to her about it. And then into the holidays and pretending like it never happened and you couldn't talk about it. And it's like, it's, it is a, a cycle. So the fact that you point that out, that was a cycle that I grew up. So my mom basically went, you know, not present for us because she was in this deep depression from September to January, you know, because she was mourning the loss of this baby. So I get it. And I, mental health is so, so important in all aspects, but especially I think here, because when they just give birth, of course, hormones too take a part in that, right? So not only are you dealing with this huge decision of a birth mom, but also physically what's going on with your body and then expected kind of to, again, go on with your life. And, yeah. you know, that's, we want to be fair to those birth moms to say, I see you, I hear you, I understand what you're going through must be extremely hard. So if there's anyone who's listening that um, feels called to help support this, is it, are we available to donate to Paratree to that aspect that even though we're not subscribing, so to speak? Oh, I would say no, not to Paratree. I would say donate directly to the Lifetime Healing Foundation if you're interested in, in okay. the journey. Yeah. So Lifetime Healing Foundation, we'll put a link down there. But again, for anybody who's had any sort of experience with that and or has had your own child to understand what that might be like, you know, donate to those moms that are are in that situation that most of them probably are not choosing to be there in, in those. And it's a lifetime a lifetime and my mom's 82 years old and is still suffering from it you know yeah, it's, it's yeah really I, I agree it's not, I would say lifetime healing foundation and then the other one that we support is the adoptee mentoring society so if people feel called to to provide support to adoptees because like you said mm -hmm. adoption is is going through a pretty crazy evolution right now where again like the shift is now from what was incredibly closed 50 years ago to now incredibly open but there are so mm -hmm. many people who went through closed adoptions who are struggling with their identity. And so things like, mm -hmm. like the Adoptee Mentoring Society or other really good organizations, Angela yeah. touched that and she is, she is amazing in terms of mm -hmm. providing support for adoptees. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you for this conversation today. It's been so educational for myself and I know people that are listening and gonna be so helpful for those that are thinking about maybe it's time for them to pivot their their life decision to check out adoption. So again, thank you for being here and I hope that our paths cross again soon. Thank you for having me. I loved being here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Creation Innovation Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Spotify for free episodes and subscribe to the Creation Innovation Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you choose to get your podcast. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening for a chance to receive a special gift. Yes, we actually do send out gifts. It's my favorite thing to do. So visit us at elizabethking.com backslash creation innovation for more information on how to enter. Every review counts and we are so grateful. You can follow me at the official Elizabeth King on Instagram or TikTok. Until next time.